1: Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we'll be examining the life and work of the Nobel laureate poet William Butler Yeats, with a particular focus on his interest in magic. My guest is my good friend James Tunney. He is author of The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution the mystery of the trapped light, mystical thoughts in the dark age of scientism, empire of scientism, the dispiriting conspiracy and inevitable tyranny of scientocracy, tech bondage, slavery of the human spirit, human entrance to transhumanism, machine merger and the end of humanity. He's also written two dystopian novels, Blue Lies September and Ireland. I don't recognize who she is. And his most recent book is Plantation of the Automatons. James lives in Gothenburg, Sweden. And now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, James. It's a pleasure yet again to be with you.
0: Uh, Always a pleasure to talk to you, Geoffrey. I'm looking forward to a conversation.
1: Now, I'm very excited about our conversation today because I know many times across the 38 previous videos that we've done, Yeats has come up as an important figure uh, for worldwide uh, literary culture, for Irish culture, and in particular because of his prolonged and dedicated and deep interest in magic.
0: Well, yes, we could. one of the problems with these figures is they're so big that you don't know where to start. But uh, by concentrating on the magic element, I think it, ha- it may help some people to understand a man who was n- known as a poet, who won the Nobel Prize for his poetry, but also was a, was a, a playwright and a, a novelist, and he managed a theatre as well. And he was a senator. He was a, a statesman. So he was very vo- involved in a lot of issues. But sometimes this issue of 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 his magic is forgotten or left to decide by people who are not interested in it and regard it as silly, as W. H. Auden seems to have done. But he, he is a major figure. And uh, every time one digs a bit deeper, one finds some revealing fact which connects him into the story and the the
1: great narrative. When it comes to magic, I can think of it in two different contexts. One would be the actual ceremonial operations of a of a magician and i I would summarize those by saying it 's an exercise in in willpower you want to uh, achieve a certain goal through magical will, and on the other hand, he seemed to be dedicated to a a revival of the ancient Irish traditions uh, that included a, a magical world view yes a very
0: critical link between our previous conversations and especially about the uh, inklings is the motivation for his magic and the motivation for his art and in many senses the magic came before the the poetry before the the medium so his magic is a critical worldview for him. Occasionally he refers to it as mysticism, but it's not, and he wouldn't make any claims to that. So he's talking about magic. And the context of origin of his magic was, was very clear, that what he saw was, and particularly through the person of his father, and he had arguments with his father, kind of serious rows with his father, about his father's embrace of science and rationalism to the exclusion of other worldviews. And Yeats said to himself that this made it difficult for him to believe in his Christianity as, he, as it stood. Now, what he was referring to was a kind of, uh, uh, he, he wasn't deeply involved in, in, in Christianity, but that was the context in which he was brought up as, a, a, as an Irish uh, Protestant, uh, no matter how uh, low the exposure was. But he, he, the, the, this growth of uh, rationalism and the scientific worldview after the theory of evolution uh, made it difficult for him to uh, continue with those perspectives and those worldviews and he realized early on that this scientific worldview not mere science but scientism uh, perhaps was going to destroy many of the traditional worldviews and really he set about trying to establish a a new kind of universal religion, uh, which was based on recognition of spirituality and was, was for him through the medium of magic. So he had bold ambitions uh, uh, in his mind. So in relation to, uh, to, uh, to magic, there's two streams. There's one, the ceremonial magic, and he was heavily into that because he wasn't very mystically inclined. He needed technique in order to help him on his, uh, on his journey. And the second one was about spir- uh, spirituality and spiritism, if you like. And here the the great figure in uh, who is the source of all the influence is, is Swedenborg. So Swedenborg influences him indirectly uh, at at first through figures like uh, Honoré the, the Balzac, uh, the French writer, and in particular through a book that his father had, had kind of read to him or, or told him about, which was Louis Lam- Lambert or uh, Louis Lambert, if you, if you like. And this was a book that Balzac wrote in his, great, in his great series when he's trying to make sense of what had happened in France after the, uh, the revolution. And it's about a, a mystical boy who is entranced with Swedenborg. So indirectly that way, Swedenborg comes in. And he's also, when we think of, uh, the Lake Isle of Inish Free, I will arise and go now and go to Inish Free and in a small cabin built there of clay and wattles made. He, we, it, that poem uh, has a number of mystical uh, elements, but it's, uh, it also has similarities to On Walden Pond. So it links into the uh, transcendentalism in the United States, which was heavily influenced by, by Swedenborg. And then he, he, he becomes entranced with William Blake. So that. Brings him back to Swedenborg again. So Swedenborg is, is and, and he's aware of what's happening in psychic research. He's aware of spiritism and Allan Kardec, and that's got a root in Swedenborg. And he he does write one of the one of the four major pieces he writes about magic, uh, was was Swedenborg mediums and the desolate places in 1914. So he he shows his debt to, to Swedenborg, but as well as that kind of spiritism, spiritualism. Uh, and ceremonial magic there's also a realization that they had and the Protestant gentry or ascendancy as they call it the, the upper class the ruling class in Ireland they realized through the translation at that stage in the 19th century particularly by people like Standish O'Grady I think 1878 he wrote a book on the ancient Irish heroes it made available a a literature that had been in existence from ancient times and was still in the minds of the ordinary people. And it was a revelation because here was an ancient literature made accessible. And it was, it was a heroic literature. So the idea of the hero becomes very important for this magician. And it's actually a base for a lot of the hero's journey. If you look back at Joseph Campbell, it's not just choice that he was influenced by Yeats was important. And in fact, one of the ambitions that didn't come to fruition was, was uh, Yeats's idea of having a kind of magical centre called the Castle of Heroes in the centre of Ireland. He was, and, and this was inspired as well at a time when he he was going around with Douglas Hyde, who became an Irish president. So it's not a marginal uh, activity, but he wanted to establish a centre. And, and he developed the rituals. More and more information is coming out about the nature of the r- rituals so we can actually get access to the initiation procedures. So it was a combination. But also he believed that the, the peasants, as they would have called them, or the ordinary people, had within their oral tradition a magical, a magical world view, and it was to them that he would go with Lady Gregory in the west of Ireland. He, his family lived between Dublin and London, but also they have family in the west of Ireland, Sligo, and he also has great contacts with, uh, with Galway, and when he went to the west of Ireland, he talked to the people, and later he studied it more, more significantly, and that gave him access to the fairy lore. And through that connection, when he went to lecture in America, he inspired people like Evan Wentz, who came to Ireland to study uh, the fairy fate from Oxford and, and, and also Scotland as well, and, uh, and subsequently went on to do the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So, I mean, that, that shows some the, the cosmopolitan approach. He was also influenced by the visit of uh, Mohini Chatterjee who was a theosophist who came to Dublin in 1885 and he informed him about the nature of Indian thought which was a central piece of his the architecture of his world view for all his life and in fact the last Book that he did was the, the 10 books of the Upanishads with, a, with a, a, an Indian Swami, and they worked together on that in Majorca. So, it, so there's a number of different currents, and it indicates that it was a pragmatic worldview that incorporated a whole range of views because he realized that they would have to fit in in order to combat this force which he identified with Thomas H. Huxley. And John Tyndall, who was a a, a is sci- less well known these days, but he was a scientist from Ireland, who was who was who was engaged in the usual suspects of, of study like crystallography, <laughs> as we've talked about before.
1: Now you mention Lady Gregory as being an important figure in his exploration of Irish folklore. Can can you tell me anything else about her?
0: She's an interesting figure, and she uh, they they become friendly. And he had a capacity, although some people suggest he had poor relationships with women, he had fantastic relationships with a range of women that he he really respected and learned from. And when he became a senator he advocated for, for women's rights at a time when Ireland was getting a bit more provincial uh, in the context of divorce and uh, women's right to work after they're married. He, he did it and he opposed a narrow view that and they should have listened to him at this stage. So he, he, he forms a very good connection with her. And she is, again, there's a very feminine element to the spirituality. He saw he was surrounded when he went to London as well by a lot of very uh, advanced esoteric spiritual practitioners who uh, who were women, and Lady Gregory gave him access to the fairy tales. There was other people of the same class who were doing so. For example, um, Wilde's mother in Dublin was very interested and wrote. Uh, she, her, she under a pen name Speranza, she wrote about fairy tales, and she had she had actually uh, been inspired by her visits to to, to Sweden. Um, in relation to the uh, idea of strong uh, female figures. Um, so uh, she, wa- uh, she, wa- she helped him in a number of endeavours, not least giving him space at a time when he was going through uh, unrequited love. And she, she also was involved in the establishment of the Irish National Theatre, which became the Abbey in 1904, that, that Yeats manages and uses as a platform for his own Theatre and for the theatre of other people, including uh, some of the individuals who would lead the revolution in 1916. So she was a significant figure in relation to recovering, and that's an, an important word this recovery that we see in relation to Tolkien and the, this act of recovery of an, ancient, uh, of an ancient way of thinking, an ancient worldview. And they realised as well, not only was there great wisdom there but it was disappearing and it would be disappearing with the with the kind of ripple effect from the great technological concentration uh in in london and the west of ireland was in many ways an ancient society still it was very underdeveloped very uh non-industrialized and that meant that in many ways ireland was 300 years before behind the rest of, of europe the disadvantage of that, you can say, in an economic materialist perspective is clear, but it's not a disadvantage in a spiritual, in a spiritual term because the oral culture meant that they weren't spiritually impoverished like the, the denizens and, and citizens of the, of the metropolis. But, but Lady Gregory was one of many many women around him that, uh, that was a big influence uh, and, and that this comes up again and again.
1: You also uh, mentioned to me earlier that one of his uh, first influences was an Irish mystic about whom we've done a previous interview, A. E. Russell. In, in fact, uh, for viewers who are interested, I'm going to link to our earlier interview about A. E. as he was known.
0: Yeah. I should say, of course, that Lady Gregory was a great, uh, did a lot of poetry herself and translations and mm-hmm. was a significant figure and, and, and helped in that uh, actual endeavor. So he, he meets, his father uh, followed a well known uh, path to, uh, to, to penury by leaving his legal career and becoming an artist. Um, So uh, he didn't pursue his his qualifications and he became an artist. And art was very important in the uh, Yates household. His sisters were involved in in printing and a number of artistic crafts uh, activities. Um, And John, uh, his father was an artist and had a studio in Dublin. So this is an important part in relation to the development of the, the mage or the magus, because if we put an eye in front of the mage, we have image, and image is an important part of his conception uh, of, of magic. And in, in particular, he has a, a very important focus on symbols, as we can talk about. But he meets A.E. Russell at the uh, this art school, and that leads to a fairly long, long uh interaction between them around the ideas of spirituality and magic and the ancient uh, lore of Ireland and they brought both Protestants but they both had a, a deep love affection uh, uh, for Ireland and uh, A Russell directed them more to the poetry away from being a painter perhaps he had an influence uh, in in that perspective he he was important for Yeats in the number, so their lives intertwined for, uh, for a period. Uh, there was, in most of the endeavours that Yeats did over a period of time, A.E. Russell was there. He was involved in the theatre for, for a certain length of time. But one of the interesting collaborations they had was in relation to the development of a Celtic mystery school. They wanted to create an order based, uh, based in Ireland, which would be a magical order with the rites and pr- uh, procedures that existed in other magical traditions. They wanted to restore the, uh, the Hibernian Mysteries, I suppose. Steiner talks about the Hibernian Mysteries as being the last mysteries that existed uh, into the, uh, the modern world, and, uh, and it was an important part in Steiner's worldview. So they, in the 1890s, when Yeats got involved in ceremonial magic, he had a team around him from uh, the order he was in and he also had access to mystics outside and what they sought to do was to invoke and evoke ancient uh, heroes, kings, druids to advise them and to interact with them. So he describes going with with A.E. Russell into the country and the druids appeared before them and in the in the magic of the time there is a a practice which is which is less well treated in the literature whereby figures are mentally or magically projected before you now this doesn't seem it 's not always purely in the mind there's great there's great uh, diff- analysis of, of this but it's more as uh, terje Simonsen, uh, who you had on your program ta- talked in his book it's more what's called in, in norwegian uh, a sink verving a kind of sight twisting so the it's an idea of projection of figures before now that happens in, in magical rituals but this is this is a wider concept as well as some ability to enter into a territory. Now this would be in, in a mental way where the groups of them went on a journey together into the mystic lands, back into ancient Ireland and into the zones where they could meet fi- figures like Angus, for example, if, figures like Usheen. So some of these figures that you see in his poetry were figures that they're claiming to have actually met in this magical way. So there's another level to the poetry that's maybe hard for people to, to understand. and. When he was in London, it was, uh, he, he, he had met uh, Samuel Mathers at the British Museum, becoming involved in magic over there. And one of the techniques that they used a lot was the invocation of mental images through the use of symbols. So there was an actual practice using cards that they call or, or tattvas, and, and they also used talismans. So these would invoke uh, shared images. And they would use them to invoke shared images, and they would enter into the terrain. So this presents another possibility when we come to uh, think about the Inklings, and we've talked about and their worlds of, of uh, mythopoesis. And of course, Yeats is, is, is engaging mythopoesis, um, but the idea that actually there is a kind of magical invocation of a fantasy land, which or a land which in some way exists. Or is capable of being sh- uh, shared, but a-, a e Russell was an important collaborator who, sh- who was as a, excited by this heroic phase and who saw that there was a counterpoint to the kind of the dying as the stagnation within Christian culture, whereby it had been reduced to adherence to rules, without any general spiritual growth. And also in a context where it could be used to polarize in an Irish context. So, so they were arguing always for an active spirituality, and Yeats wasn't interested in in, in passive spirituality or even passive suffering. He wouldn't, as an editor, publish poems uh, about the First World War that he saw as merely about passive suffering. It had to be something active that you took ownership of. So, yes, uh, A.E. Russell is an important part of of many around him.
1: And you mention Samuel Mathers who was uh, the founder or one of the founders of the Order of the Golden Dawn which which was a magical order and I, I certainly want to talk about Mathers and and the Golden Dawn but Actually, I understand from our pri- previous conversation that even prior to his involvement with the Golden Dawn, he was a close associate of Madame Blavatsky and the Theosophical Movement and their inner esoteric circle. That's right. Um-
0: An important part in all this is to remember that Ireland and India are in the same constitutional arrangement in the British Empire. So there's there's an Indian influence in Dublin before we have the Californian influence later on. People forget about this context. And there's a figure, Charles Johnson, who he was was friendly with, uh, and he introduced him to uh, Theosophy at the start and hermeticism so there's a dublin hermetic society that yeats is uh, uh, involved in so around 1884 1885 he's involved with charles johnson and with ae russell in exploring theosophy and this is this becomes important and even later on there is a quite inc- when he comes back to dublin but in the same place places that he would have studied theosophy or learned or met about theosophy there is a, a famous story when Maud gone, the woman he loved, but uh, who, who was unrequited love, essentially, she, got, she goes off to France. She has a, a, a baby. The, the baby dies, and she comes back to Dublin. She's distraught, and in Dublin, she asks A.E. Russell and Yates whether the child could be reincarnated, and as a result, it's a very strange story, as a result of their conversations, she goes back. To the man who fathered the first child and they conceive a child or she conceives a child uh in the place where the other child was buried with the i uh, with the with the idea that the child would be <laughs> would be reincarnated a a very strange view but theosophy was the was the connection and then this this london dublin connection was was very uh was very open so it's from theosophy and hermeticism so there's a hermetic uh, influence but he was also interested in ghosts he had a lifelong interest in goat, uh, goats, in ghosts um, in 1913 as a member of the Dublin branch of the Society for Psychical Research he does a presentation on uh, on Halloween on, on ghosts and he offered himself at this period to stay in haunted houses uh, when there were people were investigating them so he was he was a, a bit of a, a ghost hunter and when he comes to london he also joins the ghost club which was an earlier uh, endeavor of psychic research before the society w- was set up and has a settlement i think is 62 and its roots going back to the 1850s so this th- this was an interesting reaction from the uh, the intelligentsia uh, in some senses to the uh, scientific worldview but so so we have his interest there in indian philosophy in in dublin in I, uh, irish uh, ancient stories ancient lore in hermeticism to whatever degree it's difficult to identify and theosophy so he comes to london and he joins uh, he, he meets blavatsky as soon as he comes to, to, to london again in 1887 uh, and he joins the theosophical society as part of the esoteric division but now, despite the fact that it was adverse publicity about Blavatsky, he's impressed with her. So he, he believes her presence is, is very impressive. And this is a, a factor that I think people should bear in mind. There are other factors that we can't really judge unless we, we, we put them in the equation. Um, but he, he doesn't stay that long uh, with, uh, with them because he wants to do experiments. Despite the fact that he is living in a dream world, uh, he 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 believes that there should be empirical evidence. He believes in experimentation. Uh, he had had an interest in science early on, but he left. He he didn't like this scientism, but uh, because of that, he he left, and then that leads to him uh, jo- uh, joining the Golden Dawn in eighteen ninety after a meeting with with Mathers at the British Museum, and again. As we've talked about before in relation to Russell Square and the connection, he lives just off Russell Square and he goes to the British Museum. But we can see that crossroads, that clustering effect, which is important in relation to uh, the career of a number of of people, as we've talked about.
1: Well, the Golden Dawn was a very influential, uh, magical order. They had a series of degrees. They were, I suppose you could say, modeled to some extent on the Freemasons and on the Rosicrucians.
0: Yes. There's really no magical order of this period that doesn't have some connection to Freemasonry. There's there's a, there's a, a, a real crossover. And there still is, is today it's, it, it 's it's clear, and that was uh, no different in relation to the uh, the golden dawn the The sources are quite diverse, but it 's in the Western magical tradition, and there 's debate about the origins there's certainly a connection to elifel 's uh, levy uh, in France, who of course is inspired by Swedenborg as well, so that connection is there as well but there 's a number of trends. One of the most dominant is Kabbalah or Christian Kabbalah but I mean it's based on, on the uh, Kabbalah as developed various stages uh, from Spain through Italy through the Renaissance and so when for example when Yeats is talking about the rose he's often talking about a very unique symbol a, a circular symbol uh, which has the Hebrew alphabet in five Petals and seventeen petals, and the the Hebrew. You've you've talked before about Jane Houston, Jane Houston, and uh, her lectures and how important they were for you. That that same philosophy underpinned the approach. So they were a very studious bunch. So they informed themselves on uh, Kabbalah. Um, and the conception so when we're talking about the tree for example in in this poetry the symbols of the tree in in his poetry or the rose they refer back to other things like rosicrucianism as you've said although there's debates about the exact nature and there's various historical ideas the ideas were part of the equation but there's also astrology uh, and uh, alchemy it was very very uh, comprehensive attempt and of course Looking back in the hermetic tradition to Egypt, and Egypt was an important influence on in Freemasonry and the, uh, and the ideas in freemasonry and Of course, uh, it was very clear uh, and evident in the British Museum the links back to uh, to Egypt and the uh, hieroglyphics and the worldview so when we 're talking about some of the symbols of birds and hawks, we can begin to think of the work by people like Massey uh, on egypt and the ideas of the the different ideas of the soul in the egyptian tradition so it was really a an ambitious comprehensive attempt And the outer order they were in they had to study the theory and as they moved into the inner order they uh, after they were initiated they concentrate on practical magic now yeats was always interested in practical magic Although later he develops a very comprehensive uh, world view his he was interested in practical magic with all the talismans and all the symbols so the these uh, the symbols that he uses in in, in his in his poetry uh, fall into a number of categories but you can see in a, in a kind of binary way where we have a a a circular form feminine form and a, and a masculine form maybe like a phallic form and, and this is a binary a binary idea that seems to underpin his thinking so that we have a whole load of symbols uh like uh, from the circle the sun uh, the moon the the clock face uh, a stone in, in in a circular form or a pebble and on, on the in relation to the, the the equivalent of the one we have the tower the spear the sword uh, the hourglass and then he mixes them up later on in relation to their interaction yeah ha- so we have these ideas but these were reflecting uh, magical implements that they would have used uh, directly in their magical experiment and he sought to extrapolate from these ceremonial magic when he was uh, coming to design uh, the Celtic Order, so the mystery of the, for the Celtic Order.
1: Now, one of the things that the Order of the Golden Dawn is associated with, particularly in the uh, modern imagination these days, is uh, the notorious figure of Aleister Crowley, who was also involved in the Golden Dawn. and I gather that he and Yeats uh, really didn't get along very well. No,
0: um, Yeats thought he was mad, and uh, he he had a sense about him, and there was a real opposition uh, there. There seems to be an argument that Crowley was jealous of of Yeats, and that when Yeats didn't appreciate his poetry, because of course uh, we have a similar pattern in relation to Crowley that he's a, a poet and a, a novelist and uh, and a painter and, and, and uh, as well as a magician so he and of course his name alistair was a was a made-up reference to scotland uh to emphasize his celtic uh, background and later he, he comes to define himself as an irish man although uh that's not not true yeah but the connection was important uh it doesn't seem to be at least i mean there's the debate about some of these issues like Yates thought that Blake was from an Irish background. He was convinced about that, but most people don't think, uh, think that. So it comes to a head when there was a, there was a number of crises for the uh, Order of the Golden Dawn later on in, in the century, and this involved, uh, this involved a, a breakdown of relationships, uh, documents being released that shouldn't have been released, secrets being disclosed, and some figures coming in and associating themselves with the order uh, unjustifiably, so it eventually led to court cases uh, and scandals about initiation by by people that uh, that associated themselves uh, unjustly, unjust, perhaps with the organisation. So Mathers went to uh, to Paris. Uh, he's married to Henry Henri Bergson's sister, who, who Yates had uh, contact with as well, and. Mather sends Crowley to London to retrieve documents in 1900, um, and Yates and the others don't want him to. They don't see he's entitled to them. So we had what's sometimes referred to as the Battle of of Bly Road in in Hammersmith, I think, where Crowley is coming. With uh, dressed up in magical garb to retrieve these documents, he had been barred from from uh, the the headquarters, from the temple, and he comes and according to the stories, he's making chance magical chance coming up the stairs, and Yates is there doing equivalent chance to keep him away, and eventually he re- he resorts, he kicks him down the stairs according to the story, um, and there's a case that Crowley uh, loses and kicking him down the stairs in, in Glasgow they say well that's magic you know, <laughs> you know they, might, they might say but uh, that that tension was w- 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 that tension was was there uh, and it continues there's another interesting connection um, of course Crowley gets the book of the law on Thelma, uh through channeling uh, and this is what uh, subsequently um, Yates does When he marries in 1917 uh, georgia or george hyde lee's his wife begins to to channel uh, from divine instructors or spiritual instructors uh, to uh, to him and this had happened in relation to crowley so it was a she may have have had the inspiration from that previous previous uh, arrangement but the book of the law in 1904 um, for me was anticipated to some extent in, in, in its, the feeling of it by a, a a story that Yeats wrote in 1897 called The Tables of the Law and this was about the inversion of the Ten Commandments into a, a, dark, a dark magical force. So f- I wonder whether that antagonism uh, contributed towards Crowley's Particular development, uh, there may have been a connection there, and there's another really curious connection, which is difficult to, uh, difficult to fathom. Uh, in 1916, the revolution happened, and Yeats, as many were surprised that they had gone ahead with the rebellion, although when he had he had performed the play, A uh, Cathleen e. in 1902. Stephen Gwyn, the critic, had said, well, if you put plays like this on, you have to be prepared for people to go out and shoot each other or be shot. He understood the incendiary possibilities of the, the theatricality, the magic of theatre, which is another form of magic, a projection onto the public. So after 1916, when Yeats writes, he waits a while to write it because it, it was a very uh, difficult period, he writes a poem, uh, Easter 1916, and he's asking himself whether his words had sent people out to be shot. So whether his play and his poems had inspired these people, which no doubt some of them did, to be involved in an uprising which involved a number of poets and the signatories of the, of the Procl- proclamation of the Irish Re- Republic. And furthermore, uh, he had put Cú Cullan, the ancient Irish warrior, on the stage in his plays and again this is a kind of invocation or an uh, evocation of an of a figure that they believed was real uh, ontologically so he asks himself in the poem whether kukulun was with poric pierce in the general post office whether actually he was there be, beside him whether this figure that he had magically uh, helped to bring back uh, into the public consciousness was actually uh, embodied in, in in the spiritual rebellion w- was part of it. But stranger than that, in 1915 in New York, uh, and this is difficult, this is difficult to make sense of, Alistair Crowley uh, and a, 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 another a group of people went out to the Statue of Liberty in a boat. They weren't allowed to land, but the purpose of that for Crowley was to proclaim an Irish Republic. And he proclaimed an Irish Republic, which was reported in the New York Times. And this was months before the actual proclamation in Dublin. So it's a very, it's a very strange uh, parallel, again, and the explanation for that we could, could take a long time. But it's, it's, again, a thing that people should think about. The idea that public policy or the public arena is a theatrical uh, context that to many extent we live in a soap opera we live in a context of projections that uh, uh, image is the basis of magic and yet we uh, we uh, are open to images to millions of images uh, all the time and they we, we believe they don't influence us well these people the magicians believed that they did and not only that they believed or they had a sense that magical operations could const- or constitute and contribute towards public affairs so it's it's, it's quite remarkable
1: one of Yeats's most important works is a vision and uh, it's derived from the channeling that came through his wife. And I understand, I, uh, I've looked at it, I can't say that it's easy for me to digest that kind of material, but uh, the idea seems to be that spirit guides of some sort, uh, working through his wife, are giving him images to use in his poetry
0: yes just to just as a precursor to that in his essay in 1901 on magic he, he provides the simplest explanation for his magical worldview, and what he says was that uh, there is a great mind uh, that's a great consciousness if you like but he calls it a great mind and the great mind has a a great memory which in it in which is recorded the affairs if you like of history, prehistory, it's recorded in this uh, great memory. And you could say that he didn't say it in this one, but he could say that that's associated with the spirit is Mundi or the Anima Mundi. And we are we have a a a mind and a memory and our memory is linked to or can be linked to this great memory and great mind so the link between the two is via the techniques and operation of symbols so he provides a very distinct uh view and now also that and he, he said in that essay that minds can flow into each other so our minds can flow into the great mind and it into us and also that minds can communicate with each other they can flow between each other so, in that context, he provides a simple explanation so you you have your mind, you have your memory. The memory is also constituted by uh, ancient elements it's It links in uh, and it can link in to the uh, to the older or the existing great memory and and great mind. so, what the magician is doing what the what the mystical person is doing is is establishing better communication with those forces now into this you could see the daemon figure or i I think the figure that the the equivalent that blake uses is the genius your poetic genius the daemon could be the conduit between those things they could be the the means on which you uh, communicate he one symbol that's very important for yeats is the idea of the mask so the mask becomes important the rose in the 1890s and he moves on to the mask and the mask we we, we can trace that back uh, through the, the the magical literature uh, through the ancient literature the mask is often used by a magician it's used for a number of purposes not least if they're engaging in astral travel so that they they will appear differently um but Yeats sees it as a, deep, as a technique that enables you to develop your anti-self. So in many senses, Yeats is a precursor of what Carl Jung later uh, writes about, and a lot of his interest in symbols, his interest in mass, his interest in equivalent to the anima and the animus. It kind of anticipates a lot of what Jung I- I is doing. But instead of having the, the, the kind of dark side and the dark self, Yates has the anti-self, which uh, means different things in, in his complex vision. But it often means the elements of you that you don't have, the things that you need. So instead of looking inside at your bad bits, it's an idea that you can expand your good bits or you can accommodate other things as far as I can see. So the mask was often uh, a, a device as well to, to contact with your daemon. Now, what the daemon is varies. Um, there's two different constructions at least we could put on it. We can, we can. well there's, there's a number, there's three. One we can see it as as our subconscious or as a, uh, the collective uh, unconscious or accessing those elements in, in, in a Jungian sense. Um, uh, and if we go back in the uh, as we've talked about be- before with Surawardi and the Persian tradition and Korban, we have the the man of light, the person of light, as well the the the, the double. Um, now Steiner says that in the in the Council of Constantinople in eight eighty nine that the, the 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 Catholic Church abolished the spirit. There, there, there used to be a two a two spirit doctrine. There was the soul and there was the spirit. And he claims, uh, subject to interpretation, that. That used to be there in the early christian tradition but it was taken away so there's this idea that we have our spiritual body as well so the daemon could be just that but there is also the sense that the daemon is the uh, uh, historical or could be historical figures figures that uh, are attracted to you either because sometimes because they're different from you or they are instructors so there's this idea of instruction there is a strong idea that comes up in in the literature in various contexts of a cosmic cl- classroom people often experience this when they're asleep they're, they feel like they've been instructed and they come up with information that they couldn't have had through other sources it's noetic kind of instruction so what it is 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 unclear all those possibilities are there but it, it's a, a muse, a source of inspiration uh, sometimes He's dealing with these in, instructors at a higher level. Sometimes he's dealing with uh, his daemons. Sometimes he's dealing with particular spiritual guides like Leo Africanus who used to come through in seances. He was very interested in seances. He attended seances uh, regularly and through that he had figures that came and uh, dialogued with him. Some of them particular figures uh, and some of, the, some of them important. So so from his simple his simple explanation he, he uh, of magic, through other works like, as we talked about, Swedenborg, uh, that, that, that essay, and also another work which is uh, Per Amica Silentia Lunae, uh, he comes to the vision in 1927, and by now he had won the Nobel Prize. So I think in his head he probably thought he was a uh, he was a great scientist as well. So he sets up a very comprehensive and difficult uh, system which involves it revolves around uh, phases of the moon, 28 phases with particular characteristics, uh, highly astrologically astute, which uh, indicates patterns in the human psyche, in world history. He uh, helps him to look at the phases of world history to advocate a theory to suggest that we're coming to the end of an era that the Christian era is over, uh, that these, that, that history, the psyche, the great mind works in accordance with, with, with certain principles. And in this is a key one key symbol, which has to be mentioned is the gyre uh, or gyre, if you like. And this is, a, if you like a, a spire, a cone or a spiral, and, and this idea is important to, to remember if you're ever reading his poetry. He had this idea that a lot, of, a lot of the world can be explained by one force which starts off and spirals and expands to its utter outmost limits. And at the end, another figure spirals back. So, when, so there are natural phases of things where they contract and expand and contract and expand so the c it's like the yin and, yin and yang it, it works it can work repeatedly like a dna sequence it works in relation to cycles uh, of history so he would it can lead to a certain fatalistic view where you believe something has expanded too much and it's going to it's going to contract so it ties in with some of the ideas of nietzsche who had some influence on him and also to spengler um, but uh, it, it's an interesting idea uh, that he uses. And it's it's also related to a fundamental idea uh, associated with the heart. The heart is one of the recurrent symbols that he has in his literature. And uh, he's, uh, he's, of course, he's referring to the physical heart, but more importantly, he's referring to the mystical heart, even the sacred heart. And uh, the movement of the heart, as we know in, in a lot of the traditions, is consistent with the idea of the universe that we're moving from a contraction and expansion contraction and expansion and, and the blood flowing uh, through it uh, so this this idea of, of of activity and repose activity and repose is a fundamental uh, idea a, a dual kind of inter- interaction with with some other substance that appears in it so so the vision should be seen as a comprehensive development with his cosmic instructors um, of his his simpler uh, worldviews, but uh, although a lot of people have not made a lot of his comprehensive system, it may happen that uh, it will be revisited and reinterpreted and simplified uh, for 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 the future. But it certainly draws on a lot of uh, a lot of ancient mystical literature. And there are uh, insights that, that one can come to in different ways. It's, 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 it's curiously quasi-scientific or me- mechanistic uh, in in its worldview. But what he meant by it was that we really had to attune ourselves into the natural world, into the the cycles of the moon into the subjective and objective interactions. We see, he saw the moon and sun as, as having different functions uh, through our connections with the planets and the universe. So there's, a, there's an element of a medieval worldview or a worldview that Paracelsus might have recognized. Uh, and I, again, I think one, one should approach the vision with a kind of open-minded, uh, kind of fluid approach and not get too hung up on it, but uh, look for the insights that, that are there. And he used it to provide a a way to look at historical figures or historical phases. And it may provide insights if one uh, approaches it with a, a kind of poetic looseness.
1: Well, I would imagine that for... Probably most of our viewers, uh, they've heard the name of William Butler Yeats, but he's sort of one of those oh, dusty old uh, white male figures of uh, literary history. Well, what is his relevance today? What what can we say about his influence on our lives?
0: And no, that's no country for old men. A lot of the, a lot of the phrases we hear around us uh, go back to. Uh, go back to yates you, you would be people would be surprised at the extent to which he's quoted he's out of copyright now so it's easy for people to to re- reproduce him uh, he's been turned into songs but what he is doing is starting this uh, tradition of recognition of the force of the technical society the technocratic society the technological society he sees the deadly effect uh, of modernism. He becomes friendly with William Fletcher Barrett uh, in Dublin, who was the who was uh, who had worked with John Tyndall in his laboratory, and he came to Dublin and he he engaged in uh, par- in your business uh, in parapsychology and, and investigation of paranormal activities and psychical research, and Yates uh, knew him, and that was part of a reaction to the over extensive claims of of science and scientism and imperial scientism yeats saw that straight away and through his wide magical poetic view what he's saying is that the imagination is the most important thing so the imagination therefore it fits in with the the impetus and uh, and the intent of the inklings It fits in with William Blake, who he worked on, he published, he edited William Blake's poems when he goes to London, when he was a young man, and they discovered some poems that had been forgotten about. So he's very important as a proponent of William Blake's view. So William Blake, of course, is the great proponent of the imagination, as is uh, uh, Swedenborg. He was also influenced by Burma. He was also very influenced by the Greeks, by the Neoplatonists, uh, by Plato, by the pre-Socratic uh, philosophers like, like uh, Empedocles, who who gave him some of the uh, ideas about about the Gaia. So what he provides is a channel to a continuous pattern of resistance against uh, unduly narrow perception of the world. And in the book uh, Louis Lambert by Balzac. The, the the student who is obviously a representative or a reflection of uh, balzac himself he's, he's kind of bullied at school and they call him poet and pythagoras which doesn't seem that that bad but uh, they were referring to the fact that the boy was getting interested in ancient ancient greek and a, a, a bigger worldview view and uh, worldview and uh, yates would have been interested uh, in that as well he was he was influenced by uh, Oscar Wilde as well, who he knew uh, through his, through his activities, anticipating the Inklings. He, he formed, he was involved in the Rhymers Club, the Old Cheshire Cheese in London. And he, he was trying to provide, to mobilize the artistic movements, for example, of symbolism and decadence to a, 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 a towards his religion. So, What he's doing through his whole life is is saying that the ancient traditions are relevant. They're fundamentally important to the development of human consciousness and that we have been fooled by the idea of what he called a sentimentalist. So he believed that a person who lived in the sense world and didn't see anything else was a sentimentalist with the implication there of a undue concentration on feeling to the exclusion of anything else now we concentrated that with if you like the poet or the person who lived in reality so the person who engaged in the real world with a capital or they were engaging in reality so the other people were were misled and if we look at he provides a choice to us He pro- he provides and points to uh, an enchanted a meaningful world in contrast to a, a nihilistic uh, science, uh, world dominated by scientism which leads to disenchantment and disillusionment and another person who didn't appreciate uh, Yeats uh, to, to, to some extent and, uh, and uh, was Samuel Beckett although he came from the same class and it strikes me that well Samuel Beckett was an interest and he went through Psych, uh, psychoanalyst, well in, in the Tavistock Clinic again near Russell Square and met Jung and that early on uh, so, so he had uh, great issues and, and, and portrays in many sense a kind of nihilistic worldview. and when you come to compare the work of William Butler Yeats to the work of Samuel Becker, who I like in other respects but if you look at Waiting for Godot the more I think about it in relation to where he came from uh, in relationship to Yeats is that waiting for Godot is a representation of his spiritual world in some senses. It has curious resonances with the world that Yeats described, equivalent to the Bardo plane. that the person who hasn't engaged with their spirit, who hasn't engaged in the spiritual world, can find themselves lost and a, a husk of themselves in the next world, not knowing where they are. And as I was reading his descriptions, recently of uh, the afterlife he wrote a lot about uh, moving onto the next plane and what happens which has which, which reminded me sometimes about uh, arthur your mentor arthur uh, m young uh, there is some similarities in relation to the description of descent into into being an escape and and there's right angles there uh, as well but uh, to some extent the vision presented by beckett is a bleak vision uh, which is meaningless uh, with vague kind of humor uh, in it and it mirrors what yeats is describing as the of the world of people who are lost in the next dimension it struck me very forcefully uh, when you look at some of the comments uh, of uh, by beckett on on the spiritual worldview and that kind of existentialism uh, in in France that, that he was mixed up in or had connections with uh, that really he is describing a spiritual world as well and a spiritual world in the next, on the next plane. so uh, why he is relevant is he provides through his deep psychological explorations a sense of what what Lewis would have called a deeper magic it 's deeper than the the the, the, the dark magic. And this is a magic associated with knowing yourself on on a deeper level and about knowing the, if you believe in reincarnations, the incarnations you have been in before of getting access to the embedded consciousness that is inscribed in, in your own consciousness and making sense of the archetypes. He has a whole range of symbols for archetypes from, from the fool, the beggar, the king, uh, that appear in his work. Again, anticipating to some extent uh, the work of Jung. And he provides in it a way of looking at the world, a way of looking at yourself, uh, which is magnanimous and exploratory and cosmopolitan. And in it, he is capable of seeing his relationships in a mythic way, for example. I mean, his relationship with Maud Gonne, looking from outside is... (laughs) Uh, he he persists in asking in her hand for marriage uh, uh, even when it's clear she's not going to to marry him Uh, but he he sees that, he would see that in a mythic context in relation to ancient legends, in parallels in relation to ancient legends and he, he would see connections with Mother Ireland, with the goddess, whatever so he could see different, there was different levels to it And even with the dark side of and the things that didn't work out, he was able to transform them. He was able to alchemically transmute them. So he begins to provide and indicate strategies of the imagination to cope with daily life, to derive meaning from from daily life, to make sense of grand events, to deal with grand events. So his insights provide deep psychological intuition, that is reflected in his poetry, that can speak to people and probably speak in ways because of their focus on symbols that transcend the particularity of the context if we uh, open ourselves up to them. Uh, He also provides a way, I've suggested and we've talked about before, I think that in future to deal with the, the great forces of uh, of concentrated uh, technological development, that there will have to be uh, unity between the different traditions at a higher level. And he was open to learning from all the different traditions and, and to uh, integrating them and to provide mechanisms and structures to be able to respect them, as well as respecting the uh, poetic genius of all the particular peoples and, uh, and looking at them. So he's extremely... He's extremely meaningful. There are, there are uh, critics of him for his later stage because of his, his flirtation in the thirties, uh, or, 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 disposition, uh, to a kind of quasi fascism before, pe- before he before you realize what it was. And, uh, one thing that is difficult to explain is his con uh, he had a interest in eugenics later on, but I think they were, they were mistaken, mistaken directions, uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, it does. It does tie into some sense of a, a sense of elitism, which he certainly had. Um, but it doesn't take away from. Uh, and he did. Re- he saw then that all the big idea, whether it was communism or fascism or an overdominant church, they they would take away the human imagination. Now, the, if you look at people that have interpreted Yeats, like William Irvin Thompson, who, who you've met, <laughs> I, I believe, um, he he talked about he was interested he did a phd on easter 1916 on 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 the revolution and he 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 spoke and wrote about the vision Uh, but he emphasized the uh, needs to be careful about institutions and to reflect on the institution of the individual so yeats is emphasizing the power and magnificence of the human imagination and the institution of the individual. And his father, in fact, when he was asked about William Butler Yeats' education, said that uh, the most important thing, and he used this word, was that he developed his sovereignty. So he he actually used that word uh, about William Butler Yeats. So that idea of individual sovereignty, which fits into other traditions, which doesn't dismiss the wisdom of the past, which doesn't get so entranced with the immediate and the moment that it forgets itself, is an important part. So he's deeply relevant. Uh, you, people will find if they, if they flick through his work, it's so available now all the plays, all the, the, the poems. Uh, even if you're a pauper, you can get access to William to poetry and your, your, your mind can be a palace, as they say. So um, he, he's deeply relevant to people. You'll find words or phrases and some of these have a hint of gold about them they have a hint of magic of real magic about them and the real magic that Jung talked about about dug up from the dark mud of the subconscious and brought to light so that the gold can be revealed there's a lot of that a lot of ability to touch into uh, ancient wisdom across the traditions bringing the best from uh, kabbalah and judaism and, and the history uh, the history there and Christ, uh, christianity and through his interest in, in the arab world and it, it's really a, a model for uh, that operates on, on a worldwide uh context that, that i think he he will
1: remain relevant over the next century i know he's had a big influence on my friend whitley streber I, I remember he
0: uh, he recited uh, the poem uh, when he talked to you and he did it very well and uh, for him it was a key for him and his wife Uh, it was a key context in in their life and afterwards and there is a uh, a parallel i think some inspiration there in his life uh, perhaps in the opening up of his consciousness uh, to the other worlds and he whitley streber as well uh, identifies the uh, importance of that um heritage the uh, which Kathleen rain described it very well she was very interested the, the poet and she was very interested in uh in yeats and uh the way she's she, she's talked about byzantium which is the city that the city of the imagination that that yeats sees like blake sees jerusalem uh, she said that she was an irish but she um was part of the ireland of the imagination and as ireland goes through a massive a massive transformation that I, I i never thought i'd see uh towards materiality uh, towards a changing from its ancient culture to a modern culture which is is economically cosmopolitan but ruthless in many senses, and or in two senses, phonetically, um, then that will be lost uh, in many senses. But what will remain out of that and will be perhaps more accessible in an international context is this, uh, this channeling of, of what was a holy and special place through the imagination, the Ireland of the imagination whereby the connections, I would feel connections to people uh, who weren't from Ireland, who engaged in the deep model that it provides in relation to understanding the world, in relation to the similar thing, the universal imagination of humankind. And it doesn't matter, and these figures show that it didn't matter whether it came from Kabbalah, whether it came from the Arab world, whether it came from India, that people who are open to universal truths can present you with universal truths. You don't know where they're going to come from. So uh, Whitley Schreiber, uh subscribes, he's, uh, as far as I can see, to the Ireland of the Imagination. And it's a, he, he is a living example of someone where the poetry provides a very direct and meaningful uh, connection uh, to his wife, uh, as, as far as I remember, in 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 a diff- different space, uh, and this uh, revivifies the world by showing us that the ghosts at the window pane, to this describe another thing that that Yeats wrote about, the um, or he saw the ghosts in a, in a kind of double of humans when they're having on, on the breath when they're having wine. Uh, our world is. Enchanted with things that we don't understand, but all the traditions tell us that they that, that exist. Uh, and the people that have maintained the integrity of the human imagination, who have been open, I think point the way forward to providing the contrary force to balance uh, the over concentration, left brain, and technological society.
1: Well, I see right over your shoulder our viewers uh, who have been with us for the past hour or more uh, have seen this image of Yeats that you yourself have have painted, and I'm pretty sure since you're a poet yourself, you find inspiration as well in his poetry i, I do I do absolutely, and it's not
0: only that it's that sometimes you have to concentrate on figures on their life in order to get a sense of themselves and I found that very useful when I'm painting, for example. I I reproduced Rembrandt's self portrait. And when you do so, you could the the figure can actually come alive. You begin to notice things, uh which is quite remarkable. Like for example, Rembrandt notice that he's cold and he was in a cold time. That led me on a particular path. It comes true when you're painting. But the the figures can come true when you're doing that. And it makes you think about them or empathize with them. I was thinking about Yeats as the young, the young magician and what it meant to him and, and what it was. And curiously, what struck me when I was doing that was, and when you look at the, some of the older pictures, was the resemblance between him and, and the face and Harry Potter. So uh, the Harry Potter figure, who is the modern magician for a lot of people with the round glasses and the dark hair, uh, of course when they're casting they look back at models for what a magician might look like and i wonder i've seen no evidence but accidentally consciously or unconsciously they seem to have uh, produced a, uh, a a kind of reflection of of, of the young yate Ye- and I, I was i was asking myself well what what image would be coming to mind uh, by him and the figure that came to mind was a an irish figure called monument MacLear which is associated with the sea so my sense was that, that uh, there was something he would have been preoccupied with something associated with the sea that was what if you like came up and there was sort of have a representation of that figure uh, and almost and then recently they've had they were shown pictures of nuclear weapons being detonated in the west of Ireland and waves engulfing and engulfing Ireland and a, it kind of prefigured in a way that uh, some of the senses that uh, or, or some of the ancient stories Colm Kill talked about Well, the sea in Ireland but, um, so uh, the, the symbols and figures are an active part of your own imagination so you can look and say okay that's him talking about his unrequited love and the rose and okay but, but really the, the point of them being there is so we can awaken our own consciousness about these things about look at what they meant by a tree, for example. The, the, the power of the symbol of the tree is remarkable, um, as we've seen in relation to Tolkien, as we've seen in relation to Blake, who talked about art being the tree of life and science being the tree of death. That's what, for, for him, the two trees. Um, and uh, w- w- the, these things are, are relevant. Looking at the lives of people who have focused on art, on contributing something, on contributing meaning. And uh, the adherence uh, and respect for people who are endeavouring to help us with meaning provides us with resources and resilience that we all need in a world which seeks to demean us and to, to mean existence and to reduce existence and to dispirit us. So once you get dispirited or once... You have meaning stripped out of your consciousness, or once it's reduced, or denied, uh, or inflated. Well, then it becomes difficult for people to actually uh, enthusiastically and joyfully engage in the world. So uh, yes, I, I look at these figures for for, for uh, inspiration too, because uh, you have to, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, to to to, to read. He reads. So he knows he's not alone. It's identification uh, with people that have similar concerns that express that express their vulnerabilities, that express things about the passage of time. He wrote a lot about age and I suppose the good news for <laughs> the good news for older people, although he talked about an old man uh, and a tattered coat upon a stick uh, the point was that, as one gets older, the soul sings more, and it 's not defined by its physicality and uh, it 's an important point in relation to our spiritual development that some of the things we think about are not quite don 't work that way in the spiritual world, and that in the in the spiritual world, that uh, some of the things we are preoccupied with will 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 be burned away, a lot of the movement in the next life is to get rid of things that we shouldn't carry or we can't carry to a to a higher plane so uh yes i I think these figures can be used as as he explained in relation to symbols and as Jung would have explained to activate our consciousness to activate our vision vision is a critical thing to be able to see so even for william fletcher barrett He made discoveries about the eye and developed a machine to look at his own cataracts and examine his eye. It's about seeing. A vision is about seeing. But the seeing that they're talking about on a higher level is the spiritual eyes, the eyes that can see beyond, that can remote viewing is another aspect involved. And these are all things that are inherent in the human consciousness. So, uh, yes, I, I would recommend that, if people are beginning to look at some of these figures, uh, they're referring to symbols that they should actively engage with. So you read the poem about the rose. Well, begin to understand that this is a deep philosophical and mystical thing that can actually operate in your consciousness, not just on your mind, not just in compartmentalizing them in the left brain. They can actually work as, as, as figures or symbols or initiators uh, Too, and you talked about self-initiation. Uh, art, in many senses, is involved in the initiation into a different worldview, to to break out of the shell of the limitations of part of your brain that seeks to, particularly, be influenced by the external world that wants to project a limiting view on human consciousness. So, yeah, I find those, I find certain figures very inspirational, and I go back to them and. I use them. I think that's a, that, that, that's really the thing. They you, you interact with them and you, you you play with the figures. You use them. You reflect on them, and you will get something back because they were seeking to give something.
1: Well, in closing, James, uh, is there a, a favorite poem of Yeats that you would like to share with us?
0: I, ha- I had a, I could recite a few poems, but there's I, I think in a lot of the po- poetry work people come back to a few recurrent poems and they become familiar to, to people. And the poem that came to mind when I was the one that came, it just came to mind, I don't i don't know why, um, but it was a poem called The Two Trees. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read it to you. It comes in two parts, just to kind of anticipate it, it maybe may a bit useful. There's two parts, There's a bright side and then a dark side. And the the trees... Again, I, I've referred to what they may may mean, but of course, in in the golden dawn and that the 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 tree of life was there, and, and your the grades were associated with rising up the the the, the sephira, and yates's uh, vision was of energy coming down through through the the, the the sephira through the tree of life and rising up. You had to rise back up through it, and that was the same a magical idea so we had we had Blake's two trees as well art and science or scientism as opposed to 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 to, to good uh the good science so so that's in a and, and he talks about the glass and I just I just wanted to, to think about the glass and gazing at the glass so gazing at the glass of course refers to a mirror and a mirror is an important symbol but uh, because of the persistence of of the symbol in time, I think the glass today refers to the screen, to to television, to mobile phones, to the black mirror, to scrying, whatever. And I really think it's 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 relevant in that context. So so gazing at the glass, I think, is a, um, it was prophetic in relation to to just to to, to think about it. Um, and again, it's a mystical thing. So there's different levels. So. He's talking about uh, to his beloved, but the beloved could be his, I see it as his daughter uh, in this uh, context. And I am struck, it's a thing that even in my lifetime, Geoffrey, uh, for young women, the way that technology and the media have made young women and young men now obsessed with their appearance in a very deleterious way, it's it's a kind of a crippling thing associated with corporate desires to sell products and marketing but it's a deadly it's, it's a deadly disease and uh in this all of these again and and, and boys and girls are, are are developing masks to to hide their their uh, themselves and really uh the important thing is what's behind it is, is the tree of of life in them the spiritual tree their spiritual capacity and um that's a context in in, in which which uh, comes okay it's called the two trees Uh, beloved gaze in thine own heart the holy tree is growing there from joy the holy branches start and all the trembling flowers they bear the changing colors of its fruit have dowered the stars with merry light the surety of its hidden root has planted quiet in the night the shaking of its lofty head leafy head has given the waves their melody and made my lips and music wed murmuring a wizard's song for thee there the loves a circle go the flaming circle of our days gyring spiring to and fro in those great ignorant leafy ways remembering all that shaken hair and how the winged sandals dart thine eyes grow full of tender care Beloved, gaze in thine own heart. Gaze no more in the bitter glass. The demons with their subtle guile Lift up before us when they pass. Or only gaze a little while. For there a fatal image grows That the stormy night receives. Roots half-hidden under snows, Broken boughs and blackened leaves. For all things turn to barrenness In the dim glass the demons hold the glass of outer weariness, made when God slept in times of old. There, through the branch, broken branches, go the ravens of unresting thought, flying, crying to and fro, cruel claw and hungry throat, or else they stand and sniff the wind and shake their ragged wings. Alas, thy tender eyes grow all unkind, gaze no
1: more in the bitter glass. James Tunney, once again, a very thought-provoking and delightful conversation. It's been uh, an enormous pleasure to be with you and to probe into the the life of this very seminal poet.
0: Again, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for your inputs and your contributions to this uh, discourse. And uh, you've, you've got honorary citizenship of Ireland of the imagination, Geoffrey, for, you, for your work, for your work in, in bringing some of these figures to a wider public consciousness to our conversations.
1: Well, uh, it's an honor for me to be able to share you with the New Thinking aloud audience, James. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Geoffrey. Thank you. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. The inaugural issue of the New Thinking Aloud magazine was just released on March 1st. You can download a free PDF copy from the New Thinking Aloud Foundation website.